In this recording, we're going to discuss a very interesting issue that the Achronim raised with regards to the mitzvah of lulav. It's very clear in the Gemara and in the Halachic books that the mitzvah of lulav requires hagbah. You have to hold it in your hands, otherwise you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. In addition, the classical works, the Gemara and the Postkim, talk about the nanuim, shaking the lulav, which we do right after we make the bracha, and also again during halal. So that's when we fulfill those two aspects of how to physically fulfill the mitzvah of lulav, both holding it up and shaking it. The question is, though, that the Torah describes the mitzvah of lulav as vilakachtem lachem, that you have to take the lulav. So is there a third physical action which is necessary in order to fulfill the mitzvah of lulav, which is picking it up, the lifting it up process? And if someone did the mitzvah of lulav only by holding it, but they didn't lift it up, they would not fulfill their mitzvah. We'll discuss practical cases of how it could be that someone would do the mitzvah without having picked it up. Otherwise, how would you get it in your hand? But on a theoretical level, the debate and the discussion that we'll see is do you need to lift up to take the lulav and the esrog in order to fulfill the mitzvah? Or would just holding it in your hand, even if you didn't lift it up, so let's imagine that it magically popped into your hand, that would also fulfill the mitzvah. Meaning, how literally do we take the word in the Torah, vilakachtem, that you have to take the lulav and the esrog? Does it mean literally you have to have picked up the lulav and the esrog in order to fulfill the mitzvah? Or we take it a little less literally, and it just means that you have to hold them in your hand. So we'll see that this is a big debate. The Bikure Yaakov, which is the Aruch Lener of Yaakov Etlinger's commentary on Hilchus Sukkah. So in the last piece on Simon Tafresh Nunbez, he raises this issue. And he also gives us a concrete case where this would apply. He says, Let's say someone picked up their lulav before dawn. So at that point, you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of lulav. It's too early. Let's say dawn is 5.30 and someone begins holding their lulav at 5.30 a.m. So it's considered the night halachically. They have not fulfilled the mitzvah at that point. And then let's say they hold the lulav continuously. They don't put it down until after sunrise. So they hold it for 45 minutes and now it's 6.15. So it's after sunrise when you are able to fulfill the mitzvah of lulav. So this is the case that we're discussing. Are they able to fulfill their mitzvah by simply continuing to hold that lulav? Or do they need to put it down after sunrise and then pick it up again in order to fulfill the mitzvah because of the word vilakachtem? So again, as we said, this is based on how literally to understand the word in the Torah that you have to take it. Does it mean that it's necessary to actually lift up the lulav in order to fulfill the mitzvah? Or does the Torah mean it a little less literally that you just have to hold the lulav and generally in order to hold something, you have to pick it up? Now it's interesting because the Aruch Laner of Yaakov Etlinger himself in another one of his svarim, his Chuvas Binyan Tzion, has a very similar question with regards to Mishlach. Loach Manos, the way the Megillah describes the mitzvah of sending Shalach Manos on Purim is Mishloach Manot Ishlerei Ehu, that you have to send packages from one person to the next. So literally those words mean that you would have to send the package through a third party. So I would not be able to give the Shalach Manos directly to someone else. I would have to appoint a messenger to give it to that person. You always need a messenger in between. Mishloach Manot, sending the Manot. On the other hand, we could read it less literally that it just means you got to get it to the other person however you're able to get it there. So the Mishnah Brewer in Simon Tafresh Sarihei Sifkat Yudches actually quotes this same question from the Binyan Sion, the Aruch Laner, and Simon Mem Dalid, that he had the same question regarding Mishloach Manot, how literally do we take it? So it seems that these are parallel questions. Is the Mishloach Manot and Vilakachtem Lachem totally literal, or are they just indicating how something should be done, but it could be done a little differently, and you would also fulfill the mitzvah? Now, this same issue, whether Vilakachtem is literal and you have to lift up the Lulav as part of the mitzvah, is also discussed in the Stechem. In Mareches Dalad Minim Simen Gimel Osiod Beis, he's quoting from the Chuvis Divrei Mordechai from Reb Mordechai Friedberg and Simen Nun Zion that he discusses this issue also whether there has to be a lifting as part of the mitzvah or just holding the lulav is sufficient.
So this is the issue that the Bikura Yaakov and the Stechemed raise. And on a practical level, there's a debate between various poskim. The Tshuvas Binyan Shlomo, which was written by Reb Shlomo HaKohen, who was a Dayan in Vilna. He and his brother, Reb Tzalel HaKohen, were two prominent Dayanim on the Vilna Basin. And because at that time they were printing the new Gemara Shas Bavli, so both of their comments on the Gemaras were included in the standard edition. Reb Shlomo HaKohen wrote the Cheshek Shlomo and his brother wrote the Mare Kohen. And they also both wrote Tshuvas. Reb Shlomo HaKohen wrote the Binyan Shlomo and Reb Tzala HaKohen wrote the Reishis Bikurim. And they did a lot of work together, obviously. One of the famous things they did is they both co-signed an approbation to Sefer Chafetz Chaim. Now, in Binyan Shlomo, Simon Memches, he quotes from his brother, Rabbi Tzalel HaKohen, who quoted from Rabbi Saul Salanter, who spent a period in Vilna, he was a Rosh Hashiva there, that he paskined that in this case, if someone was holding the lulav from before dawn, and then they continued holding it all the way until after sunrise, they have not fulfilled their mitzvah, they need to put it down and then pick it up again in order to do the mitzvah of Vilakachtem. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was of the opinion that Vilakachtem is very literal, it has to be lifted up and just holding the lulav without lifting it up, meaning in this case where someone lifted it up before the time of the mitzvah, they did not do the lifting during the time of the mitzvah after sunrise, then they would not have fulfilled their mitzvah. So that was Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's ruling. And we have very few of Rabbi Saul Salanter's halachic ideas written down. So this is a very precious tradition to have recorded by the Binyan Shlomo. Now, one of the major poskim, the Chassam Sofer, is also reported to have agreed with Rabbi Saul Salanter on this. This is quoted by Rabbi Chaim Sofer in his Chuvas Machna Chaim, Arachaim, the third volume of Arachaim, Simen Nun. So he quotes a story about Rebunim Eger, who was the son of Reb Kiva Eger, that he once went to visit the Chassam Sofer, who was a son-in-law of Reb Kiva Eger, so these were brothers-in-law. Now, Reb Chaim Sofer, who's recording this story, is also named Sofer, but he was not related to the Chassam Sofer, although he was a student of the Chassam Sofer. So he tells the story that Rabunim Eger came, and he argued that if someone was holding the lulav from before dawn, they still fulfilled their mitzvah, meaning the lakachtem is not totally literally, and the Chassam Sofer disagreed with him. So both Rabbi Sol Salanter and the Chassam Sofer are reported to have said that the lakachtem needs to be literal, and if someone is holding the lulav without having picked it up as part of the mitzvah, they would not fulfill their mitzvah. Now, it's worth pausing before we move on to what other posts come out to say. Rav Scheinberg in Mishmeres Chaim Chelek Aleph, page 67, has an explanation of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's view, which helps shed light on what Rabbi Yisrael is saying. And he explains that Rabbi Yisrael doesn't mean that the mitzvah of lulav is the lifting it up. Rabbi Yisrael also agrees that the mitzvah of the lulav is fulfilled by holding it. But the lifting up the lulav is part of the mitzvah, meaning it's part of the process of the mitzvah. So even though that itself is not the mitzvah, but that's an intrinsic part of the process of the mitzvah, which can't be skipped. So that's what Rabbi Saul means to say, whereas those who disagree, like Rabbi Meger, hold that this is not a necessary part of the mitzvah. Just normally, in order to get something in your hand, you have to lift it up. That's all the Torah means. So that's what the debate is. But even the more stringent view doesn't hold that the essence of the mitzvah of lulav is picking it up into your possession. Now, there's many other poskim who weighed in on this debate between Rabbi Saul Salanter and the Chassam Sofer versus Rabunim Eger. In the Piskei Tshuvas, Simen Tafresh Nun Beis, Sifkat and Beis, he quotes a long list of poskim who discuss this issue, and many of them are on either side. So he quotes that Rabbi Chaim Berlin, who was the son of the Nitziv, and Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, quoted in Halichos Shlomo, Perak Yud Aleph, Note 30, they agreed with the stringent view of Rabbi Saul Salanter that one does not fulfill the mitzvah without a proper velakachtem. And on the other hand, the Nitziv himself, in his Chuvas Meshiv Davar, Simon Mem, and the Chazon Ish, they agreed with Rabunim Eger's lenient view that one can fulfill the mitzvah simply by holding the lulav. They don't need to lift it up. And there's many other poskim on either side. So this is a wide-ranging debate between the poskim. Now, having seen the debate and some of the names that are associated with each approach, we're going to now move on to three of the major sources which are at the heart and soul of this debate, how to understand these sources with regards to this halacha. 
The first proof is brought by the Arach Laner in his discussion, and this is from a Gemara in Sukkah on the top of Membez Amr Aleph. The Mishnah says a halacha that if someone accidentally carries a lulav on Sukkis, which is Shabbos, they would be exempt. They don't get punished for having violated the prohibition of carrying on Shabbos. So the Gemara explains that that's only when they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of lulav yet, and then they accidentally carry the lulav because we assume that they're anxious to get the mitzvah done, so that's why they weren't thinking that this is Shabbos and it's prohibited to carry. But then the Gemara asks on this, how would you ever have a case where a person is carrying a lulav and they haven't yet fulfilled their mitzvah of lulav? And the Gemara says a very famous line, as soon as you pick up the lulav, you've already fulfilled the mitzvah. So a second later, when the person walks with it and violates the laws of Shabbos, that's already after they fulfilled the mitzvah of lulav. There is no way to be walking and carrying a lulav without having already fulfilled the mitzvah of lulav. So the clear implication of this Gemara is that as soon as a person lifts up a lulav, they've already fulfilled the mitzvah. So the Arach Lener pointed out that if you hold like Rabbi Saul Salanter, that if the person was holding it from before dawn, even after sunrise, they haven't yet fulfilled their mitzvah. So then we have a simple answer to the Gemara's question. The case is talking about someone who lifted the lulav before dawn and they held it until after sunrise and then they were walking around. So at that point, they're anxious to fulfill the mitzvah, but they have not yet fulfilled it because they didn't lift up the lulav that day yet. So that's a case where they're holding and carrying the lulav, but they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah yet. So the fact that the Gemara doesn't answer that case means that the Gemara holds that even in that case, you would fulfill your mitzvah simply by holding the lulav because there is no need to lift up the lulav after sunrise. So that's the Aruch Lener's proof against Rabbi Shal Salanter's view. Now the Rashash has a comment on that Gemara, which is an even more radical view than Rabunim Eger's leniency. It's the total opposite of Rabbi Shal Salanter. And he says this in order to answer a question of Reb Kiva Eger. Reb Kiva Eger asked on the Gemara's question, how could the Gemara say that someone who lifts up a lulav and then starts walking and violates the prohibition of carrying on Shabbos should be punished? because they already fulfilled the mitzvah of lulav that first second, and then they violated Shabbos after that. In order to violate Shabbos, you need to lift up the object and put it down. There needs to be both an akira and hanacha, a lifting up and a putting down. So in this case, the lifting up of the lulav was very clearly done in order to fulfill the mitzvah of lulav. And as we said, that would be exempt from being punished for a mistake on Shabbos. So how could the person be punished when they start walking if there was no lifting up as part of the violation of Shabbos? That's Reb Kiveger's question. So in the new Reb Kiveger's, they quote on the bottom different answers from the Sfas Emes and Reb Elchanan and the Kovit Shiurim. And these answers tend to focus on redefining what it means to pick something up and be obligated in terms of carrying on Shabbos. So for example, the Sfas Emes argues that even though lifting up for a mitzvah is exempt, the person doesn't get punished with regards to violating Shabbos, but they still did violate the prohibition of Shabbos, just the Torah exempted them from punishment. So if they then do further actions which violate Shabbos, that can all be combined together with the initial lifting up and the person could be punished for the whole thing. So that's how the Sfas MS deals with it. But the Rashash said something which is from a totally different angle, nothing to do with the laws of Shabbos. The Rashash said a big chiddish with regards to the laws of Lulav. And that is the Rashash argued that you don't even have to hold the Lulav in your hands in order to fulfill the mitzvah, but even holding it on the table, so you're not lifting it up in the air, even just putting your hands on it on the table would already fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav. So the Rashash reads the Gemara incredibly literally that when the Gemara says as soon as you hold it, you fulfill the mitzvah, it doesn't mean at all like we've been assuming that you have to hold the lulav in the air at least. 
but it means even if you just place your hands on the lulav and esrog, which are on the table, you've already fulfilled the mitzvah. And as soon as you lift it up into the air, it's already part of the violation of Shabbos. So the Rashash has a very radical understanding of the mitzvah of lulav, and this answers Reb Kivager's question by saying that any lifting up of the lulav whatsoever is going to be part of the violation of Shabbos because the mitzvah of lulav and esrog was fulfilled as soon as the person took it in their hands, even before they took it off the surface that it was on. So this Rashash's answer obviously only works in the view of Rabunim Eger and the Aruch HaSholchan, which disagrees with Rabbi Saul Salanter, that there doesn't need to be a lifting. And the Rashash refines that view even more by arguing that you don't even have to hold it in the air, but any holding of it, even on the surface, would also fulfill the mitzvah. And again, all of this is based on the line in the Gemara, in Sukkah, Mida'agba Nafikbe, that as soon as you hold the Lulav and Esrog, you fulfill the mitzvah right away. Now, now the Rashash himself quotes that the Shulti HaGiborim has the language Mishinotlan Vihigbian Mimekoman when you take hold of the Lulav and Esrog and lift them from their place. So the Shulti HaGiborim says clearly that you do need to hold the Lulav and Esrog in the air. It's not sufficient to just have them in your hands on a surface. So that's like Reb Kiva Eger. So basically we have three opinions now at this point. We have Reb Yisrael and the Chasim Sofer who hold that there has to be an actual lifting and holding as part of the mitzvah of Lulav. We have Reb Kiva Eger and the Shilte Agiborim who hold that there doesn't need to be a lifting, but you do need to hold the Lulav and the Esrog in the air. And then we have the Rashash who holds that you don't need to hold it in the air even, you just need to hold it in your hands even on a surface. Now, the second Gemara, which touches on this issue, is in Zvachim Yudaladam and Aleph. And this was pointed out by Rabbi Yoshua Heshel HaLevi from Kovno in his Sefer Pleitas Sofrim. And this is quoted by the Binyan Shlomo. In a footnote, he added this into later editions. And in the new Binyan Shlomos, it's quoted on the bottom. And it's also quoted in the Chuvas Divrei Mordechai. So they both quote from the Pleitas Sofrim that he said, based on the Gemara in Zvachim, which says that the Torah describes the process of the Kohen getting the blood from the sacrifice as the lakach, that he needs to take it on his fingers. So the Gemara says, that if a monkey came and put the blood on his hand, then the Kohen would have to do the process again. So you see that the Gemara understands the lakach, that he has to take the blood very literally, not just that it has to show up on his hand, but he actually has to do the process of taking the blood. So in the same way, Rabbi Yoshua Heschel argued that you have to take the lulav because the lakach dem lachem, taking the lulav has to be literally, you took it and not someone else got it into your hand somehow. So that was his parallel between the laws of the Kohen and the laws of the Lulav. Now the Binyan Shlomo himself counters that this is not a good proof because if you look at the Pasuk which describes the Kohen in Vayikra Perek Dalet Pasuk Chafhei, so the Torah says, kohen midam that the Kohen should take the blood on his finger al and put it on the corners of the Mizbeach. So the Torah repeats twice the verb that the Kohen has to v'lakach and v'nasan, that he has to do it. So if not that it's telling you it has to be literally done by the Kohen, there's no need to repeat both of these verbs because we know who we're talking about. As opposed to in the case of Lulav, where it only says v'lakachtem lachem once, it does not repeat the v'lakachtem idea. There's no two verbs. So that one verb is necessary to tell us that you have to do the mitzvah, but it might not mean literally. So the Binyan Shlomo says that there's a basic difference between the case of the Kohen and the case of the Lulav in that the Kohen is a doubled up verb, so that's why it must be literal. As with the Lulav, the Torah only has one verb, so maybe that's not literal. So that's how he counters that proof for Rabbi Saul Salanter's position. Now, the third source is the Shulchan Arach and Simen Tafresh Nun Aleph Sifhei, and he discusses the issue of how do you make a bracha on the lulav if the minute you lift up the lulav and the esrog, you've already fulfilled your mitzvah. In general, we like to make the brachas on a mitzvah before we do the mitzvah. But you're not supposed to make the bracha on the lulav and the esrog before you've picked it up while it's just sitting on a counter. 
So you have to pick it up and then make the bracha. But as soon as you pick it up, you've already fulfilled the mitzvah. So how do you make the bracha before you pick it up? So Tosfos and the Rambam deal with this question. But the Shulchan Aruch summarizes that there's basically three approaches how to do this. One is to not pick up the esrog until after the bracha. So you just pick up the lulav, the hadasim, and the aravas. And then you make the two brachas. But you don't have the esrog in your hand. So you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah yet. But since you're holding some of the mitzvah, you could make the bracha. And then right after the bracha, you pick up the esrog. And at that moment, you fulfill the mitzvah. But it's right after you made the bracha. Option number two is to pick up the esrog, but to hold it upside down with the top, the pitom, facing downwards. So you don't fulfill the mitzvah of lulav and esrog unless you're holding it upward the way it grew. So since you're holding the esrog upside down, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah, but because you're holding them, you could make the bracha. And then as soon as you finish the bracha, you turn the esrog over. And at that point, you fulfilled the mitzvah. And then the Vilnigon adds a third option, which is that you should hold both the Lulav and the Esrog in their proper upward way, but you should have intention not to fulfill the mitzvah when you lift it up, and then you make the bracha, and then at that moment you have intention to fulfill the mitzvah. So according to the Vilnigon, by intending to not fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog, even though you're holding it properly, you don't fulfill the mitzvah until after you've made the bracha, and then you have intention to fulfill the mitzvah. So those are the three options. So the Aruch Laner and the Divrei Mordechai that we've been discussing, and also the Tshuvas Van Hagos from Rav Moshe Sternbach, who's a descendant of the Vilna Gaon, in Chelek Gimel, Simen Kuftzari Vav, so he also points this out. And they say that according to the Vilna Gaon's preferred method, that you hold the Lulav and the Esrog properly, but you intend not to fulfill the mitzvah until after the bracha. So that would contradict Rabbi Yisrael's view because Rabbi Yisrael holds that the lekicha, the lifting of the lulav and the esrog have to be part of the mitzvah. But here, when you lifted the lulav and esrog, you specifically intended not to fulfill the mitzvah. So it's almost parallel to the case where you lifted the lulav and the esrog before dawn at the time when there was no mitzvah. So to hear you lifted the lulav and the esrog at a moment when you were not doing the mitzvah. So there was no lifting of the lulav and the esrog as part of the process of the mitzvah. And according to Rabbi Yisrael and the Chasim Sofer, it shouldn't work. But the fact that this is the Vilna Gaon's preferred method, and it's mentioned in Tosvos, indicates that they hold, unlike Rabbi Yisrael, that the lifting of the lulav is not necessary for the mitzvah. You only have to hold it. So that's why it doesn't matter if when you lifted it, you had specific intention not to do the mitzvah. So this is an interesting tie-in between the issue of how to properly raise the lulav and esrog before making the bracha and this issue of Rabbi Saul Salanter, whether you need the lifting to be part of the mitzvah and how they connect. It's possible maybe part of the debate between the Shulchan Aruch and the Vilna Gaon is specifically over this point, whether you have to lift the lulav and the esrog as part of the mitzvah or not. Now, Darach HaShulchan points out that you could counter and say that the Vilna Gaon agrees with Rabbi Saul's view because when someone lifts a lulav and esrog, even if their intention is not to fulfill the mitzvah at that moment, but they did lift the lulav of an esrog during the time when the mitzvah applied. So that lifting is part of the process of the mitzvah, even if their intention was not to do the mitzvah at that moment, which is different than when someone lifts the lulav and esrog before dawn, when they're literally lifting it during halachic nighttime, so they can't do the mitzvah at that point at all. So that's a way to distinguish between these cases. They might not be exact parallels. So those are three areas in the Gemara where the discussion touches on this issue. There are other ways to try to make sense of particularly the first Gemara that we quoted on Sukkah Membezim at Aleph, the Divrei Mordechai and the Chuvas Van Hagos, they seem to think that that line in the Gemara of Mida'ag Bey Nafik Bey is like Rabbi Saul Salanter because you need to lift it up in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So the literal meaning of the Gemara is that you have to lift it up. And the Machne Chaim and his tshuva 
So he also reads the Gemara, like we quoted from the Arach Laner, that it's a question on Rabbi Yisrael's position, but he has a different question, which is according to Rabbi Yisrael that you can't fulfill the mitzvah by picking it up at night, so why didn't the Gemara just say that you violate Shabbos by carrying it at night? So I don't want to confuse everything by going through the details of how each one of them is reading the Gemara, but I do think the most compelling reading of the Gemara is the way the Arach Laner presents it, which is what I used originally, and that is that it's a question on Rabbi Yisrael's view, because why didn't the Gemara say the case where someone picked it up at night and was still holding it after sunrise and walking around, but they haven't yet fulfilled the mitzvah. So we've gone through some of the discussion between the poskim about this issue. Now I want to conclude with two practical cases which may be dependent on this debate, and they're things that happen much more frequently than the case we've been discussing so far of someone who lifts the lulav before dawn and holds it till after sunrise, which which is probably unlikely to ever happen. But these two cases do happen, and they may be dependent on this debate that we've been discussing. The first case is raised by the Divrei Mordechai in his tshuva that we've been referencing, and it's also raised by the Stipler in Kisve Kihilos Yaakov, which is a collection of his writings on sukkah. So in Simen Kufnun Zayin and Simen Kufnun Ches, he discusses this issue, and he makes many of the points that we've made, but he also makes this new point, which is Tosos in Sukkah Lamedalatam Abbeis quotes Rabbeinu Tam's opinion that you have to take the Arba Minim, the Lulav and the Esrog, four species, at the same time. It can't be one after the next, so first you take the Lulav, then later the Hadas, then the Arava. It has to be all four of them at the same time. So now these Achronim point out a very big problem with Rabbi Sol Salanter's opinion that Vilakachtem, lifting the Lulav is part of the mitzvah, that if that's the case, then you should have to lift the Lulav and the Esrog and the Hadas and the Arava at the same time in order to fulfill the mitzvah according to Rabbeinu Tam. In other words, we're not careful for that. We lift them at separate times and then we hold them together and we say that we did the mitzvah according to Rabbeinu Tam. But according to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that should not be enough. You should need to lift them at the same time. And the Divrei Mordechai goes so far as to say that this is not even possible. A person can't lift two things at the exact same moment. And he bases that on a tosos on Erevin Daf Vav about Ef Shalitzamtzim, that it's impossible for a human being to lift up two things at the exact same millisecond. So according to the Divrei Mordechai, this is such a big problem with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter because it means that no one can fulfill the mitzvah according to Rabbeinu Tam, since it's not enough to hold the lulav and the four species together, you have to lift them up at the exact same second, which is not possible. So he, because of that, disagrees with Rabbi Saul Salanter's approach in favor of Rabbunim Eger and the Nitziv's idea that lifting is not a necessary part of the mitzvah, only the holding is. Now, obviously, one could counter that Rabbi Saul Salanter would hold that you don't have to lift it at the exact same millisecond. It just means within the same time frame. And that's enough to fulfill the Torah's commandment of Lakachtem and to include all four species in that together. Now, the Stipler has a different solution to this problem, and it's similar to the approach we mentioned from Rav Scheinberg earlier, that even Rabbi Saul Salanter agrees the mitzvah is not fulfilled by lifting up the lulav. You have to hold it in order to fulfill the mitzvah. But the lifting, he's saying, is a necessary part of the process in order to get to the holding. So the holding alone is insufficient. You need both the lifting and the holding together. So according to that, the process is not over when you lift it. It's only over when you hold it. So that's why even if you lift the lulav and the esrog at different times, as many people do, but if you hold them together, so that's the completion of the mitzvah at that moment. And at that moment, they're all together. So it's sufficient according to Rabbeinu Tam. So you have lifting all of the four species, even if it wasn't exactly together. And then holding them unifies the whole thing and you fulfill the mitzvah. So that's how the stipler makes sense of this idea in Rabbi Saul Salanter's approach how it is that we're able to lift the four species at different times, as many people do. So that's the first practical discussion in this theory. And then the other issue, which could have practical ramifications, is in a case where someone is trying to be makne to acquire their lulav to someone else. 
So the halacha is that on the first day of Sukkot, it has to be your four species, so you have to own it. Now, what if someone doesn't own a lulav or an esrog? So on the other days, you could borrow, but on the first day when you have to own it, borrowing is not enough. You have to actually acquire it from the other person. So let's say someone agrees to have the other person acquire their lulav and esrog in order to do the mitzvah. So now the poskim noticed that there's a problem with Rabbi Saul Salanter's opinion. And this is quoted by the Stechemed when he quotes the Divrei Mordechai. And this was the whole context of the Binyan Shlomo's discussion within which he quoted Rabbi Saul Salanter's opinion. And also in the Tshuva and Machna Chaim, he ends up in this case based on the Shadus Chuvis Yehuda Yale from Rabbi Yehuda Asad, and the Piske Chuvis also, when he presents all of these poskim and this halacha, so he immediately segues from the first case of if you're holding it before dawn to this case where someone is trying to acquire the lulav and the esrog. Because the problem is the following. When I take the lulav and esrog in order to take ownership of it, so that's when I'm lifting it up and now it's in my hand and I take ownership of it. But according to Rabbi Saul Salanter, I haven't fulfilled the mitzvah because when I first lifted the lulav and esrog, it wasn't mine. And it has to be mine in order for me to do the mitzvah. So a moment later, I acquired it, but at that point, I don't have the process of lifting the lulav and esrog, which is mine on the first day. So the poskim noticed that according to Rabbi Saul Salanter and the Chasim Sofer, stringency, that you have to lift the lulav and esrog, not simply hold it. So what should need to happen is after a person acquires the lulav and esrog on the first day, they need to put it down and then pick it up again in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So this would have practical ramifications because this does happen. If someone doesn't own a lulav and esrog of their own and they're borrowing from someone else on the first day, so they do need to acquire it. And according to Rabbi Sral Salanter's opinion that the lifting also has to be part of the mitzvah, so then it might be that they need to lift it up once in order to acquire it and then put it down and lift it up again in order to do the mitzvah. So in fact, there is an opinion in the postkin that suggests doing that, this double lifting. That's how the Machan Chaim seems to conclude in the Piskei Chuvis, he quotes that Rab Chaim Berlin held to do that. And he also quotes that there were people in Yerushalayim who used to do that when they were acquiring a lulav on the first day. So then they would put it back down and lift it up a second time. So there's certainly a school of thought in the poskim based on this idea of Rabbi Shal Salanter and the Chasim Sofer who believes that that is the way one should do it. Now, on the other hand, the Binyan Shlomo who recorded the whole tradition from Rabbi Shal Salanter, so he concludes pretty strongly after a long discussion that you don't need to do the double lifting. But it's not clear if he's saying this within Rabbi Saul Salanter's view or he's disagreeing with Rabbi Saul Salanter's view because he holds that you don't need a double lifting. But either way, the Binyan Shlomo makes a number of very fascinating points. So in conclusion of this discussion, we'll go through some of the highlights of the Binyan Shlomo. And a lot of these are points that we've already touched on, but the Binyan Shlomo has a very fresh perspective on this whole issue. So the first idea that the Binyan Shlomo throws out is the Gemara has a principle called Gita Viyada Bainkecha. There are certain times when a woman can't acquire her get in order to get divorced, but the Gemara introduces this concept that the get and her ability to acquire things come at the same moment. So what that means is that even though she wasn't able to acquire things when the get hit her hand, two things changed in one moment, both her ability to acquire and her actual acquisition of the get happen at the same moment. So the Binyan Shlomo suggests that maybe there's a similar thing at play in this case, where the person both acquires the lulav and fulfills the mitzvah at the same moment when they pick up the lulav. So that would mean even though two things need to happen here, the person needs to fulfill the mitzvah, and that requires lifting the lulav, and they need to acquire the lulav on a financial level, and that also requires lifting the lulav, but both means can be accomplished with the same act of lifting. You don't need a double lifting in order to accomplish both of those. Now the issue is, as other posts can point out, and the Divrei Mordechai and his tshuva points this out, and the Stipler and the Kisvekilos Yaakov points this out, that it's not so simple to apply the principle of Gita Viyada Bain Ke'echad, that principle with regards to get to the case of Lulav. And that's based on a comment of the Tzos, where he said that the whole halach of Gita Viyada Bain Ke'echad only applies to get, 
because a get doesn't have to be acquired, it has to be given. So the Ktsos had a very fundamental distinction between the acquisition of a woman acquiring her get versus a normal financial acquisition. He felt that a get is a much lower level. It's not actually acquired. It's only given. So according to the Ktsos, and this is a very fundamental idea in that whole concept, the whole halach of Gita V'yadabayin Ke'echad would only apply to get, but it would not be applicable in the case of lulav, where someone needs an actual acquisition. They don't need to just take the lulav into their hands. So according to the Ktsos, you can't apply the Gemara's concept with regards to get to this case of lulav. And then the Divrei Mordechai makes another very strong point, which is that the Hagbah, which is needed for the mitzvah of lulav is totally different from the hagba which is needed in order to acquire the lulav. Because in order to acquire it, you just need to cause the object to be lifted through your movement, but you don't actually have to hold it in your hands. As opposed to for the mitzvah of lulav, you have to hold it in your hand. Likewise, in order to acquire an object, there's a measurement that it has to go up. So it's either a tefach or three tefachim, whatever the measurement would be, but there's an amount that it has to be lifted before you acquire it. Whereas the mitzvah of lulav has no measurement, even if you just pick it up a milla inch, that would be enough to fulfill the mitzvah of lulav. So the Binyan Shlomo's idea is still not going to answer the key question here, because as soon as the person took the lulav and esrog in their hands, they've done the mitzvah taking, but they haven't acquired it yet until they bring it up a little bit higher. So it's still going to be a problem. How can they fulfill their mitzvah through this one taking when they didn't acquire it when they first picked it up that first milla inch? So this is a very strong argument against the Binyan Shlomo's attempts to say that one lifting is good enough based on the principle of Gita V'yadabai and Ke'echad because the type of lifting which is going to acquire the lulav is not going to happen until after the lifting of the mitzvah has already been accomplished. So this is a very good counter-argument against this first point of the Binyan Shlomo. But the Binyan Shlomo has other suggestions as to why one lifting is sufficient. So the second point of the Binyan Shlomo is similar to the one that we saw the Arach Laner makes, which is the Gemara says that as soon as you lift up the Lulav, you fulfilled the mitzvah. And it doesn't have a case where the person hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah. So the Arach Laner asked, according to Rabbi Saul Salanter, why not say that they lifted it up before dawn and they're still holding it, so that's why they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. But the Binyan Shlomo says the same proof would apply to the case where they acquired the Lulav. Why didn't the Gemara say Say that they didn't have their own lulav. They're acquiring it from someone else on the first day of Yantif. So that first lifting is not enough to do the mitzvah because they didn't own it when they first lifted it. They were trying to acquire it that first lift. So the fact that the Gemara didn't say that indicates that the Gemara holds whether they already owned it or not, one lift is good enough. So the same proof that the Arach Laner has from the Gemara to his case of someone who picked the lulav up before dawn is also going to apply to the Binyan Shlomo's case of someone who's trying to acquire this lulav from someone else and fulfill their mitzvah at the same time. The Gemara seems to indicate that that would work and you do not need a second lift. So this leads the Binyan Shlomo into a whole discussion of the Arach Laner's proof from that Gemara. And as we mentioned earlier, there's a number of different perspectives on how that Gemara is going to play out in the case that we're discussing. So the Binyan Shlomo also entertains some of these different options, but at the end of the day, he doesn't really like the Arach Laner's question because he thinks that the Arach Laner's case that the person lifted the lulav before dawn and was still holding it after sunrise is more forced than the Gemara's answer. So why would the Gemara give that answer when it had a better answer? So he doesn't think that the Arach Laner's proof is really a good proof at all. Now, with regards to his case, that the person is trying to acquire it from someone else, that actually would still be a good proof 
because as we said, that's a much more likely case to happen than the Arach Lener's case. But then in a later edition, the Binyan Shlomo added another comment, and this is printed in the new editions of the Binyan Shlomo, and this is even more interesting. He thinks that the whole Arach Lener's approach to the Gemara is wrong. Because again, the basis of that Gemara is that the person is exempt from the violation of Shabbos because they were so anxious about doing the mitzvah that they forgot about Shabbos. So in the Aruch Laner's case, when they lifted the lulav before dawn, so at that time they were not anxious about the mitzvah because it was not the time of the mitzvah, and then they did the mitzvah later on, and then they put it down after doing the mitzvah, so both the Akira and the Hanacha were in situations where they were not anxious about doing the mitzvah. They lifted it up before the time of the mitzvah, and they put it down after they completed the mitzvah. So says the Binyan Shlomo, that's certainly a violation of Shabbos that a person would get punished for. The only way there can be an exemption, says the Binyan Shlomo, is if the person lifted up the lulav when they were anxious about doing the mitzvah. So this is an important point that the Binyan Shlomo is raising against the Arach Laner, because the Arach Laner's reading of the Gemara is very technical. That if they lifted it before they performed the mitzvah, then they wouldn't get punished. But the Binyan Shlomo is saying that if you look at the actual reason, that it's based on the idea that they're worried about doing the mitzvah, that's why they forgot about Shabbos. So that wouldn't apply to someone who lifts it up pre-dawn. So now having come this far, the Binyan Shlomo continues and he brings up Reb Kiva Eger's question that we mentioned, which is the Gemara implies that if the person lifted it and then did the mitzvah and then put it down, they would get punished, but there was no Akira. They never lifted it with the intention to violate Shabbos. So the Binyan Shlomo says that he has a simple answer to Reb Kiva Eger, which is the Gemara says that Akira's gufo is Kakira's chefetz dummy. Moving your body is like lifting the object. So every time you move your body, it's as if you've lifted the object. So based on that, even if a person lifted the lulav with the intention of doing the mitzvah, so they're exempt from the violation of Shabbos, and then they do the mitzvah, the next time they move their body, it's as if they re-lifted the lulav again because the lulav moves with the movement of their body. So that's a new akira. They've lifted the lulav again. And then when they put it down, they've now violated Shabbos. So that's a simple answer to Reb Kiva Eger's question based on the principle in the Gemara that moving your body is as if you've lifted up the object. Now, the Binyan Shlomo quotes that the Rashash had already quoted this solution and he objected to it, but the Binyan Shlomo tries to resolve it. So the whole discussion gets more convoluted, but I'm going to leave this thread for right now to go to the final point that we'll look at in the Binyan Shlomo. This is a very fascinating point. The Binyan Shlomo says that he has a proof to this halacha from a piyut. One of the poems that we say in the davening, this is on the second day of Sukkot. This one was written by Rabbi Elezer HaKalir, the greatest of all the Paitanim of these poets. So there's a line there that says, Taking them with money, meaning buying the lulav and esrog and four species with money, will make them kosher to be used. They're fit to be taken on this, the first day of Sukkot. So the point is, of course, that you have to own the four species that you're using on the first day of Sukkot. But the Binyan Shlomo asks, why does the piyut stress that you have to pay money for it? There is no halacha that you have to pay cash for the lulav and esrog that you use on the first day. Even if someone gives you a gift or if you acquire it in some legal way, so that's sufficient. Why does the piyut stress that you have to buy it with money? So on the bottom of the new Binyan Shlomo, they quote a very fascinating counter to this from Rabbi Yochum Perlo. He thought that the Binyan Shlomo's question is not a great one. And he says that there is a tradition in Chazal, it's in the Yushalmi, in the Medrash Rabbah, where they stress that a person should pay for the lulav and esrog with money. But they don't mean it on a halachic level. Of course, if someone gets a lulav and an esrog as a gift and they acquire it, so then on a halachic level, they can use that to do the mitzvah, and that's perfectly fine. What Chazal are saying, though, is that people want to pay money for the lulav and esrog in order to show how precious it is to them. So Rabbi Yochum Perlo felt that this poem is not teaching us any halacha, it's just telling us that people want to pay money in order to show how precious the mitzvah is.
But the annotator points out that there are commentaries on the Medrash which seem to disagree with Rabbi Rucham Perlo's view and they hold that that Medrash is actually a halachic concept. It's not just teaching us that people want to pay for the lulav and esrog in order to show how precious it is. So based on that, the Binyan Shlomo's question would be a good one. Why is this poem stressing that a person needs to pay money? What is the point halachically in saying that a person needs to pay cash for the lulav and the esrog. So the Binyan Shlomo says a very clever, creative answer, which is the Sharei Tshuva in Simen Tafresh Nun Ches Sifkaten Hey quotes that there are poskim who hold that if someone buys a lulav and an esrog on credit, then they have not fulfilled their mitzvah on the first day because you actually have to own the lulav and the esrog and simply lifting it up without giving the money is not sufficient halachically, so you have to make sure that you paid for the lulav and the esrog before the first day and that you fully own it. Now, this is after the Binyan Shlomo's time, but the Mishnah Brura in Simen Tafresh Nun Ches Tifkat Yud also quotes this opinion, and potentially this might be a problem if someone paid for their lulav and esrog using a check, because that might be considered on credit if the money hasn't cleared to the seller by the time Sukkot begins. So there might be a problem with that. In the Piskei Tshuvis, he quotes that Rav Yashav said that if the seller accepts the check, and he's okay with that form of payment, so that's considered a full acquisition, even according to Torah law. So that would be okay. But back to the Binyan Shlomo, so he says that based on this idea that you have to actually pay money, you can't just lift it up, so that's what the piyot is telling us, that you have to give the cash before yuntif and not take it on credit. Now, this is based on an opinion in the Gemara of Rabbi Yochanan that according to Torah law, ma'os konos, it's paying the money which makes the acquisition and the other things that we do, like lifting up or pulling, are only midra banan. Now, says the Binyan Shlomo very creatively, Tosfos and the Rush say that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir was not a medieval Paitan, which is the general assumption, but rather he was a Tana, so he was in the times of the Mishnah, and he was actually the same person as Rebbe Lezer Bereb Shimon. He was Rebbe Elezer, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So this is very problematic historically because historians assume for good reason that Rebbe Elezer HaKalir was an early medieval poet. But according to Tosus and the Rush, he was the Tana Rebbe Elezer Bar Shimon. And what's beautiful about this is that Rabbi Shimon in Bab Metziah Memzayinam Abbeis agrees with Rabbi Yochanan that Dvar Torah Maos Konos, that Torah law is that paying money is what makes the acquisition. So his son in the Piyot is following the father's opinion that you need to pay the money before Yantif in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Lakachtem Lachem of owning the Lulav and the Esrog on Yantif. So this is a very nice analysis of the Binyan Shlomo. And now he says the last step, which is if Rebbe Lezer HaKalir is so concerned with telling us the halachas of how to properly acquire the Lulav and the Esrog on the first day, that it can't be on credit, you actually have to pay the money, why then didn't he also list that you have to do a second lifting? So he should have pointed out in his piyot that lifting the first time acquires the lulav and the esrog, but you still have to lift it up another time in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Says the Binyan Shlomo in this beautiful creative proof that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir must hold that one lifting is enough, you don't need a second lifting. And now at the end of his tshuva, the Binyan Shlomo adds another point in his analysis of this poem, which is also very clever. The poem writes, Ru'uyim lihinatel that the lulav and the esrog, if they were bought with money, are fit to be taken. So the Binyan Shlomo asks, what does that mean they're fit to be taken? They are taken because we're about to do the mitzvah with this lulav and esrog. So they're not ru'uyim, they could theoretically be used, they are going to be used. So he says very brilliantly, the Noda Yehuda writes in his commentary the Tzlach, that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir lived in Yerushalayim, close to the Beis HaMikdash, in a time when he never kept a second day of Yantif. So he never wrote any poems for any second days of Yantif, not even for Rosh Hashanah. He only kept one day of Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Pesach, everything. 
So how did we end up with two days worth of poems for Sukkis from Rebbe Lezer HaKalir who only kept one day? So the answer is that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir wrote two different poems for Sukkis because if the first day of Sukkis is on a weekday, then there's the mitzvah of Lulav. So he wrote a poem about the Lulav. But if the first day of Sukkot is on Shabbos, then there's no mitzvah of Lulav, only the Sukkah. So he wrote a different poem for a year like that, which focused on the Sukkah. Now, because we have two days of Sukkot, so we took both of the poems, and we say the Lulav one on day one, and the Sukkah one on day two. But if the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, then we actually reverse it. And we say the Sukkah one on day one, and the Lulav one on day two. So that explains our customs and how we got these two days of poems from Rabbi Lezer HaKalir. So that's going to answer the question why the poem says Re'uyim Lihinatel, that they are fit to be taken on a theoretical level, because this is the poem regarding the Sukkah, which was written for a year when the first day of Sukkot is on Shabbos. So that day they actually are not taking Lulav and Esrog. So that's why it says that on a theoretical level you could use them because you purchased them, but you don't actually use them that day because it's a Shabbos. So that explains the wording in that line that it means they could have been used, but they're not going to be used that day because it's Shabbos. But if so, says the Binyan Shlomo, why is this line in this poem at all? This line belongs in the Lulav poem, which we said on the first day, because that's the poem where Rebbe Lezer HaKalir goes through the laws of the Lulav, one of which is that you have to own it. So why did he include this line in the Sukkah poem instead, which was said on a year when the first day of Sukkot was on Shabbos? And that year you actually didn't need to own a Lulav and an Esrog. Because the first day, which is the day when you have to own it, was Shabbos. So there's no Lulav. And then the second day you can already borrow one. So there is no Halacha that you have to own a Lulav and an Esrog on a year when the first day of Sukkot falls out on a Shabbos. And as we just said, historically, that's when they would have been reading this poem in Rebbe Lezer HaKalir's lifetime on the day when Sukkot fell out on Shabbos. So why is he saying halacha that you have to own the lulav and an esrog in a year when it's not true. Says the Binyan Shlomo that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir is saying a major chiddish here, which is that he holds even on a year when the first day of Sukkot falls out on a Shabbos, so there is no practical halacha of lachem, that you have to own a lulav and an esrog, but you still do have to buy a lulav and an esrog. Every person has to own a lulav and an esrog that day. Because let's say the Beis HaMikdash is rebuilt, so the mitzvah of Lulav applies in the Beis HaMikdash even on Shabbos. So a person has to be prepared for the possibility that the Beis HaMikdash is going to be rebuilt at any moment, and they're going to need to own a Lulav even though the first day of Sukkot is on Shabbos. So that's why Rebbe Lezer HaKalir wrote in the poem for the first day of Sukkot on Shabbos, that every person still needs to own a lulav, even though that year, because the Beis HaMikdash was not built, they were not going to be taking it on the first day of Sukkot. So these are some of the very cute and interesting ideas that the Binyan Shlomo finds in this piyot. Most shuls nowadays don't even say these, but it's still always interesting to study them a little bit and to see some of the halachic viewpoints that are expressed in them. So this last bit from the Binyan Shlomo was a tangent hopefully an interesting tangent. But just to recap, we began with the debate between Rabbi Shal Salanter and other poskim whether or not lifting the lulav is part of the mitzvah or it's just holding the lulav. We then went through a few different lines in the Gemara which seemed to indicate one way or the other and how different poskim understand it with a special emphasis on the line in the Gemara, Sukkah Membezim and Aleph, Mida'agba Nafak Bey. Once he lifts up the lulav, he immediately fulfilled the mitzvah. We then saw that there is a practical ramification to this whole discussion in a case where someone is trying to acquire the lulav on the first day and whether they have to do a double lifting. And then finally, we went through a little bit of a tangent in the Binyan Shlomo's tshuva on this topic and how he analyzes this piyot.